I can fix this. I can fix this. I'll just edit this back out. We're coming or going, one or the other. One or the other. Scuba Obsessed's weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 201 was recorded live May 22nd, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the west side of Michigan, where it is a little bit better than it has been. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Venter. How you doing today, Mac? Again, I'm doing pretty good. Again, I'm really enjoying the 64-degree warm spell we're having. Max saying, again, because uh, we're recording something that we've not done before. We're both in the same room at the same time. We're trying to eliminate some of those audio problems we've had in the past. Apologize for everybody who's normally coming into the chat room. Uh, We're going to find another way of dealing with that. But at this point in time, uh, we're going to record face-to-face which unfortunately for Mac, that's probably not a too good an image. Uh, Jim isn't going to be able to make it this week. He was doing some traveling. Uh, he'll certainly be able to give us an update next week when he's on the program. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. We have a follow-up story. If you remember, we had that fireman who had uh, been allegedly charged with stealing scuba gear. We got a little bit more details. And they said it's been about a month since uh, it was discovered that the, uh, the gear was missing. It was supposed to, the gear was, this diving gear was supposed to be used to search for a girl in the Delaware River. Uh, the Philadelphia Fire uh, fire Department was unable to help to the extent that they were, that they would normally want to because the gear was missing. Uh, Kennelly, 26, allegedly admitted to stealing thousands of rescue gear over a four-month period. The theft amounted to about $30,000 worth of gear. And this is from the Lower Southampton Volunteer Fire Department. And this is in Trevos, Pennsylvania. It was only discovered when the first responders were called to assist in the water rescue in the Delaware River last month. And this is according to an affidavit of probable cause obtained by uh, one of the local TV stations, NBC10. Uh, police said they, they couldn't do everything they planned while searching for the boater because they didn't have the equipment. They said he took the gear from a storage unit rented out to the Station 6 along Elmwood Avenue and pawned much of the equipment at a nearby pawn shop for more than $6,800 in cash. Some of the equipment it included tanks, face masks, underwater airbags, dry suits, chainsaws, and dive regulators appeared on eBay. And this is according to police. After a short investigation, detectives brought Kennelly in for questioning, and the longtime volunteer fireman allegedly confessed to taking the scuba gear. They've recovered about 75% of the equipment before it was resold. Uh, he was arraigned on burglary, theft, and receiving stolen property charges this last Tuesday. His bail is uh, 500000 and he would have to post 10%, which he was unable to come up with. Doesn't that pose some questions to you? Because it sure does to me. Number one, if you've got that much gear and they haven't trained in four months to know what was missing, <laughs> how can you have a department that's not functioning? Well, I think, I, I don't necessarily think that they weren't using it. I think it was just slowly disappearing over time. I think uh, another article I had, heard where it was he would help transport it and it just wouldn't make it back but four months four months that's amazing second item is he didn't kill anybody Mm -hmm. half a million dollars bail now come on i've seen guys out here rob a store you know threaten to bodily harm and they're out twenty or thirty thousand dollars why half a million well i think that has to go with the fact that it was a public safety department well, yeah, I mean, though, was it practicing for four months? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I can say that. Not. Well, the next one we have up is uh, La Jolla Cove Lookout. And this is an article, and we won't read this one in a exhausting detail. If I get ever get around to doing show notes, which is almost like me buying a dry suit, uh, you'll be able to follow along. But this one goes that uh, La Jolla is saying that how things have changed and that they've got increasing demand on their their public parks. Citywide, there's approximately 11 million people going to the beach 15 years ago. Last year, it was 23 to 24 million. 
the changes in community expectation of what a lifeguard is and what a lifeguard does. Uh, San Diego established lifeguard service in 1918, and there were few lifeguards, ones that were typically served on a seasonal basis. However, with more people coming to the beach, lifeguards were needed, and lifeguard towers were built across the county. A lot of things can happen, and they happen very quickly in La Jolla, particularly at the Cove. You have a huge array of things going on. Things are watching. This is uh, Lorma said, a former lifeguard captain. Uh, he helped construct the first Cove station. My dad told me, and he was one of the first lifeguards of the Cove. In the 1930s, he created a depression in the cliff where the main stairway is, which is still seen today. There are four bolts where the chair was seated there. Lifeguard stations were typically staffed during the summer season, but due to amounts of locals who swim at the cove, it merited additional coverage. A more official tower was built to house the lifeguards in the cove in the 1930s. Lifeguards would store uh, rescue boats and other equipment in the concrete buildings known as the shack. In the, in the 40s and 50s, scuba diving was added to the recreational mix at the shoreline. La Jolla Cove became a renowned site for scuba diving and snorkeling. Lifeguards had to speak the language to understand all the various ailments and issues, such as barotrauma and all the things medically associated with scuba diving. As a result, lifeguards were given equipment similar to that used by divers, so they explore the underwater during a rescue. Additional lifeguards would size people up, how cough the diver was navigating the waves, pulling the gear from the lower tower before they got in the water. Similar practice takes place in the shore. If a diver knows their equipment and puts it on to familiarity, that's one thing. If they're having a hard time getting to the beach, the equipment doesn't fit, that's the other side of the spectrum. Lifeguards had to adapt to that. Now, now, Mac, why do you think that was? Is that just because in La Jolla, uh, that was a popular area? Is that is that how diving progressed, where people had the, the lifeguards were almost responsible for the scuba divers? It'd be nice to say I am familiar with the California area. I wish I were like that. But I imagine that's the way it is. But I'm looking at some of the old photos, and that does sound like the evolution. You know, from the swimming to the snorkeling to the diving. And if you're the keeper of the people, you know, watching over the flock, so to speak. Yeah, they were in the water. Yeah. They're in the water if they have problems. And and in the early days, where could you buy gear? You could go to Sears, and they, <laughs> and they had tanks on the shelf, and you just picked it up. Yeah, actually, even down here at Wolf's, uh, they actually, you bought the neoprene, you bought the scissors, and the glue, and you made your own. <laughs> so, literally, you had uh, neoprene, you, and you just like glue it together? You made your own to your own self, and you saw that set of tanks, popular yeah. mechanics, you told, told you how to take welding tanks, and how to build your own regulator, and make it work. Wow. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that. Well, It'd be fun. I'd have a blast doing it. Well, you do home-built airplanes right now. Well, unless you wanted to have a John Denver incident, I don't know how. <laughs> I'm not building a home-built airplane. At least not one I'm flying, and I'll build it for somebody else. Submarine, submarine. Think submarine. submarine. Home-built home submarine. Well, kind of the point of the article, you know, the kind of the catch at the end is La Jolla is looking to build a new tower. A $1.8 million Cove Tower should be finished by the end of this year or mid-2015. That's There's confidence for you. It'll be 80 square feet, a marked increase in the previous tower's 30 square feet. This third tower will have a steel frame and wood siding and concrete cantilevered base. All I can say is property value sure as hell went up. Well, a million I'm, eight for 50, to calculate that out. 80 square <laughs> feet is how much per square foot? Well, that's 8 foot by 10 foot. Yeah. So why does it need to be, okay, let's let's talk about... $1.8 million. $1.8 million. <laughs> Must be beachfront property. It costs more. <laughs> well, they've already got the tower. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I mean, they had me with everything else. Yeah, okay, you need all the stuff. But why does an 80 square foot tower cost $1.8 million? The environmental study is California requires. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> wow, because look, okay, so you have to have concrete footing. You probably got some sort of steel base. I mean, does it have to be handicap accessible for a lifeguard? I don't think so. Is there so. an elevator? I I'm hope they get, so. there should be like a chili dog stand or something in there for 1.8. Now, that's something. They didn't tell you what's in the bottom. Maybe there's something underneath it. Maybe there's a concession stand in the disco. Wow. wow. I'm sure somebody out there will know the answer to this question of why 1.8 million and let us know. Yeah, please do. Here's a city council that sees scuba diving as a way of getting some tourism. This is in Twin Falls. Uh, they, this is, uh, oh goodness, another name I can't pronounce, Derquez Lake. Uh, and, they, and they have the traditional toilet in the water that fish go hang around. Uh, local scuba instructor leading to push to install the park says after doing 500 dives in Derjik, it gets a little redundant. The idea behind the scuba diving park is provide eye candy, extra training opportunities, areas, landlocked divers, boost tourism, and increase fish habitat to the popular summer swimming and fishing hole. 
Twin Falls City Council unanimously approved plans for the Underwood Park this last Monday, contingent on Melney getting other needed permits. The lake already has sunken rowboat, a swimming triangle, a metal shark cutout, and a hidden treasure chest, which sometimes contains coupons for discounts at local stores. Melanie wants to sink a donated airplane, which is partly wood that would have been used as a crop duster. At first, it will be clean inspected to ensure it doesn't hurt the environment with proper training. He said a diver could swim around the cockpit. The wings are a much larger airplane, but he said he could have them. We, oh, the wings are from a much larger airplane, but he said we could have, we may have the back section of a helicopter. If we were going to Frankenstein, we may as well go all the way. So it sounds like they're going to take part of a crop duster, some wings, and a helicopter back end. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Sounds like something from a Disney movie. Yeah, or Tim Burton. I like the way they, they embellish it and say, instead of saying toilet, it's the porcelain throne. Porcelain throne? More cat. You know, more. Yeah. It, it, well, now, is this one $1.8 million for the sink and toilet? Uh, so, and the article goes in to talk about all the support that they had. They said that uh, it was a unanimous vote similar to endorsing motherhood and apple pie. Now, that's good that they got that, but if the same thing was going around here, would we have local support? It's hard to tell. I just know they don't want us jumping off the boardwalk. Yeah. So this sounds like this is in southern Idaho. Yeah, first part that caught mine. We have a bridge that people can jump off of legally. The Prane Bridge, by the way, had okay. for base jumpers. Uh-huh. We can actually get training on how to safely jump off. Relatively word there, safely. Safely. Jump off a bridge. Now, safely means that you... the. You usually live. You live, okay. Well, because it's it's like either it's like, it's almost binary. It's either you're safe or you're dead. And sometimes you might wish you were dead, depending on how badly you got hurt. But okay. But I suppose part of the point is some people would say that's a uh, extreme sport. Yet they are publicizing it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're making money out of it for the economy of the state. Yeah. Same thing they're doing here. I think part of the item is that used to be some kind of uh, farm field that they got flooded. Mm-hmm. So they're using their resources, trying to make things happen and make money for the. Well, for so the you area. had a farm. So there's a farm field that got flooded. How does it get flooded to the point where you can scuba dive? Well, maybe they built a dam at one end, oh. like they do in yeah. Alabama and places like that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go for that. He says, when you do anything, there's always some risk. Looking at this, I can't see a greater risk than we already have from public swimming out there. There's a state recreational immunity statute that gives us some protection, and we'll rely on that in other parks. You notice it doesn't say a thing about common sense or individual responsibility? No, you can't say that. How unique is that? Wow. (laughs) He says he's unsure when the park will be installed, but he's still waiting permission from other agencies. So hopefully for him, it works out well. I can't say that I'm... All that excited to go run to Idaho to go do scuba diving, but I'd dive it. Yeah, but it sort of pales when you start looking at some of the quarries we have and the airplanes, helicopters, buses, boats yeah. that are already down there. Yep. Good idea, though. Here's an idea of a fundraiser. A scuba club auctions off a War Heroes diving jacket. Uh, scuba club is auctioning off the jacket to help youngsters attend life-changing adventure courses. Proceeds will go towards the... Bursary in memory of Major Matthew Bacon, 33, who grew up in East Mosley and was killed by a roadside bomb in Bursa eight years ago. His father, Roger, donated his scuba diving equipment to the London City Scuba Club, which has volunteered to help fundraise and sell the Zeagle Ranger jacket on eBay. He says, when we first spoke to Mr. Bacon on the phone, we were not fully aware of the circumstances of Matthew's death, but when we met him in person in the gear. We discovered the full story and we felt we had to do something to help. The club immediately donated a th- uh, 100 pounds to his bursary that enables Army cadets to follow his adventure footsteps by going on life-changing course to run the Outward Bound Trust. Now, what is is that a British term, bursary? B-U-R-S-A-R-Y? No, that happened to be a little city overseas where a lot of our, our troops are stationed. Well, it says they donated 100 pounds to his bursary. Oh, that. I thought you were looking at the city where he was killed in. No, the, no, the city up above, uh, let's see what they call that one. That's Baz, Basra. Yeah, right. Basra. Oh, okay. I just yeah, missed that. That's what I thought you were looking at. Yeah, no, Basra. No, it says Bursary. So is yeah. that uh, like a fund or, or something? It appears to be that. Yeah. And it must be, if all our English listeners, if you could send us something on that. I have an idea that's a, it's a normal term over there. Uh, he said he enlisted in the Army Corps at age of 17, was later selected as an officer for training in the Sandhurst Royal Military Academy. He also had a passion for skydiving, as Mac was pointing out, along with s- snowboarding and scuba diving. 
Seems like those always go together, don't they? Hey, of course they do. Only thing I didn't see was your motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, I'm sure. Good looking guy, though, for a, and look how young he looks for a major. Yeah, yeah he he wasn't, what, was he 33? Yeah. They said he was, so. Young looking 33. Yeah. They said his jacket was brand new and used at the time, and unused at the time of his death. He learned to scuba dive just after his commission and became one of his greatest passions. So it was a brand new jacket, he didn't even get the break in. So do they say where, can you go on eBay and look for this if you want to buy it? No, I didn't say. By now, I reckon it's already gone. Yeah, let's see. The date on this was Saturday the 17th. Of so May. It, it's possible. You may be, if you're over there in the UK, that might be available. They're, they, they're holding up the jacket, and it looks like a nice uh, BC. Oh, the Rangers are nice. Yeah, he's got the got the metal rings. Yeah, like you want to have. Well, here's $180 million. $180 million. I'm still on that tower. $1.8 No, this is a 180-million-year-old fossil revealed in the Jurassic Deep Sea. The ancient fossil revealed the deep sea may be the origin of many lineages of sea creatures found closer to the surface. And this includes a number of sea stars, sea urchins, and snails, according to researchers. These new findings suggest that deep sea has played a much greater role in producing and preserving diversity in marine life than once thought. The deep sea was long thought to be a lifeless desert. Research in the last few decades, however, has revealed that it actually supports one of the highest level of biodiversity on the Earth. With the help of an amateur paleontologist, Jiro Monsunter, I'm going to say that's what his name is, even if it isn't. Scientists have discovered fossils in 180 million year old deep sea animals in the Australian Alps. Now, I got to cut in here. In the Alps, you're going to find the deep sea creatures. Now, it, does that sound like something got inverted somehow? Yeah, something moved. Must have been global warming or something. No, it was the aliens. When the aliens, they, ah. they, 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 they brought that up. Uh, they now shed lights on the surprising history of the deep sea. People always assume that start in shallow waters, move the deep sea, but these findings are evidence that the deep sea may have been a neglected source of biodiversity. Haven't we learned that things will go where there's something to take advantage of, wherever the food is? Yeah. I still don't understand the Alps for the deep sea. How did it get from one to the next? You know what I'm saying? Did we have an upwelling? <laughs> oh, an upwelling. I don't know. I'd have to look on the map. At the you know, Is that where we had crustal plates that were pushing and one drove the other one up? Way up. Uh, way up, yeah. But somehow they've taken samples of what's in those layers and determined that that is how old it is. Let's see if I can get this next one to come up. Even with faster internet... Over here at Max, here it comes. They said, discovery of deep sea graveyard. Ocean giants off Angola excite scientists. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we frequently heard of uh, human and dinosaur graveyards, but marine creatures at the bottom of the ocean is, is not quite as well known. It's the first time scientists have ever captured images of dead whale shark and three dead rays laying in the bottom of the ocean. In the past, scientists have only documented nine vertebrate carcasses, and that's in the span of 50 years. Uh, creatures in the sea naturally fall to the bottom of the ocean where they kick the bucket. This important event allows for seafloor-dwelling creatures such as snails and crabs to feed. However, it comes down to the sunken carcasses of dead whale. It's rarely observed in the scientific community. New footage found the whale sharks and three rays were captured in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Angola and West Africa. They were not captured by divers, but by a remote-operated vehicle, ISIS, that was conducting an underwater survey for oil company. When it came across the carcass, it was there was not a all that was left of the whale shark was its flesh and head, its fins and part of the creature's spine. The matter of rays, they were reduced to their skeleton with little fishes feeding on the leftovers. Compared to other discoveries, as a fish fall had little carcasses on the seafloor. As per the scientists, it's a lot to do with the fact that some creatures, such as sharks and rays, have less nutrients in the fat in the body, so they tend to decompose quickly. It's not the case for whales since their body is filled with fat and other key nutrients. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm. They're calling it a graveyard because there was a whale and th- a couple rays. Interesting pictures, at the least. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to say they look like alien creatures, though, because you get back <laughs> on your UFO kick from last week. Yeah, we'll get we'll get, we'll get sidetracked again. Huh. Squirrel. Yeah. The fickle finger of fate. Yeah. Is looking. I can tell. <laughs> okay, I'll, we'll get good at this someday. Oh, come on. Luckily, we we heavily edit this. Squirrel. <laughs> That's, see, that was an awful long payoff, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but those are some great photos. And then divers get credit for this next discovery. They're getting a little bit of praise for spotting a rare seahorse off the coast of Nova Scotia. 
marine biologist is praising the divers for filming a rarely seen seahorse and posting a website that collects information from citizen scientists. Nidia Katuno and Martin Roy, owners of underwater imaging company, spotted the line seahorse in St. Margaret's Bay near Halifax on October 12th last year and uploaded it on April 1st, 2014. Amanda Vincent, the project coordinator of Project Seahorse, says the last sighting of a seahorse was 13 years earlier, also off Nova Scotia's coast. The professor of marine conservation at the University of British Columbia says the species is listed as being vulnerable to extinction due to fishing and damaging to their ha- damage to their habitat. Vincent says images and videos uploaded to the website help scientists track the location of the seahorse and make conservation recommendations. The biologist says she hopes the sighting of the Halifax diver prompts other amateur naturalists to watch the seahorses and report their discoveries. I was going to say is, how do you know the difference between seahorses? Because you find seahorses a lot of different places. So had they not been... Videotaping. Videotaping, you'd have had no clue. Yeah, it had to completely do with the videotape. And how many items lately have we talked about that they've civilians, not archaeologists, not, you know people who are trained for this, but have found new species or lost species of fish. Yeah. Remember deep trawling nets that come Mm -hmm. up? They thought it was extinct. Yep. And then here we have a a diver doing exactly what we like to see. Jane Maddox is hoping to reveal the secrets of a sunken Crimean warship. Crimean warship is what I meant to say. On the floor of the English Channel, the 60-year-old will lead a team of diving to inspect the rest of wreck of the SS Faith which sank 12 miles south of the Isle of Wight in 1855. She said she can't wait to explore the warship, which belonged to the Turkish government, when she sank. It's an important and rarely visited wreck. It's fascinating. I'm looking forward to the project. She belonged to the Turkish government when she foundered in heavy seas. Her bell was raised a few years ago and is in the Isle of Wight's Shipwreck Museum. She lies in English Channel in English waters. She was carrying a pretty ordinary cargo. On her way to Turkey, when she sank, the ship was made of iron, although the steamship had full sails too. She was built in 1852 by Laird and Sons of Birkenhead, one of the earliest examples of a navy of naval steam power. All the crew but one were saved when she sank. He returned to his berth unwell and wasn't spotted missing until it was too late. Let's see. The she was primarily a cargo ship that had been used to transport troops in the Crimean War, and sits 39 meters below the water. Jane, a marine archaeologist and British subaquatic first-class diver and national instructor, is leading a team of divers to plot the wreck. I have a core team around 10 archaeologically trained divers, but there are up to 24 places available for BSAC divers to join us. Diving in the wreck at this depth might not be for everyone, but it's pretty dark, to be honest. The wreck of the SS Faith is pretty straight out and damaged by nature. How deep is it? Because I don't believe I saw that. Yeah, they mentioned it. uh, 39 meters below the water. So So just say 40, 120 feet. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fairly decent depth. Right, it's a workable depth. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to spend... The thing with that one is it's going to take you a lot of dives depending on what you're doing. If you're not, if you're going to stay out of deco, you've got a lot of dives down there to get any sort of documentation done. I am curious, why is it important now? Since it's just scattered all over the bottom, it is deep, it's been known about for many, many years, so why the sudden significance unless it's a training it's, Well, I think part of it's training. They want to go and dive dive on it. Just as a side note, we know one that's half as deep. Yeah. And if anybody wants to come out, we do need some archaeologists. Yeah. Uh, we have something better for you. Yeah, come to the United States. You get to dive in the fresh water so you don't have to get your gear all mucked up. There's nothing out there that's going to eat you. Yeah. Nothing with teeth other than other divers. Yep. We've got to watch out for the occasional saber-toothed guppy. Mm-hmm. Or, of course, our favorite alligator snapper. Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever seen any alligators, uh, not alligators, alligator snappers out in the Great Lake? No, but I have seen them in the lakes. Yeah. And uh, it, it's interesting about that. We did that little study last week. You didn't do it. I did. Mm-hmm. There's actually 10 varieties of turtles in Michigan. And the alligator or the uh, snapping turtle in Michigan is not the one that we're afraid of. So we looked it up, and it's a non-indigenous turtle. And it's unique because it's also found in Berrien County in the St. Joe River. And as a side note, to scare some people like Mr. Faulkner, uh, the largest one was 251 pounds. The back of the shell from one end to the other was 32 inches. Pretty hefty. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little, little bitty guy. Yeah, we found some where we're diving. We found three last year. None that big because <laughs> we're still diving the area. But uh, 
we're looking for the ones about the size of a manhole cover. They will get your attention. Yeah, that would get my attention. Wow. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You, I already imagine all sorts of nasty stuff, but something I want to take my fingers off. Okay. On, on to brighter notes. Uh, this next one was fo- from Fox News. They compiled a list of what they considered to be the best nine shipwreck finds, and some of them seem to be obvious. They had on their list the RMS Titanic. Titanic. They also had the Queen Anne's Revenge. That one was discovered in 1995. White of Galley was a pirate ship dis- discovered in 1984. That was the flagship of Captain Black Sam Bellamy, which ran aground sank off the coast of Cape Cod following a storm in 1717. Well, let's see what's the next one. The Black Swan. I like the part about the Black Swan and a half, uh, what, half million? No, half billion dollars. Would you keep it a secret? I'd sure as heck try. Well, I wish they did now, considering I own stock in that. <laughs> that would have been handy for them to keep it. But, uh, oh gosh, we, we I think we've covered that one quite a bit. That's For those who can't remember, that was the, the Odyssey Marine ex- Expeditions uh, discovered, it, and then they took all the gold off it and, and knew that there was going to be challenges. They just anticipated it, so they uh, they put it into a, a vault. Uh, and then when they, they announced the ship, then the Spanish government sued them. And they did all sorts of other nasty things to the crew. Uh, they were they were eventually forced to relinquish the entire load to Spain. Uh, the Peruvian government also sought to lay claim to the treasure, insisting that coins were originally mined and minted within their borders. Yeah. So when it comes to enough money, there's no end to the number of people who claim it. Yeah. So keep your mouth shut if you find the gold. So the, what's this next one? The Nurista Señora de Atocha. Uh, that was a 1622 wreck. It was considered to be one of the most valuable in history. Spanish ship had been hauling the wealth of the New World in its cargo hold with jewels and precious metals. 460 years later, Mel Fisher found it, an Indiana chicken farmer. Unfortunately, his wife and son had died in a, when a boat had capsized while looking for the wreck. Since the discovery, the Atosha is estimated to hold around 450 to a half a billion dollars worth of treasure excavation work to find the remains of the ship continues to this day. And in fact, at the... Uh convention there in chicago mm-hmm. our world underwater yeah uh, we were playing around with a hunk of gold from that that was worth eighty five thousand dollars oh. i would he kept his eye on us though yeah well he probably picked you guys up right away did they have an armed guard with him or i, I said my name's darren jilton and <laughs> and from that on there's people around me i don't know what that meant oh yeah thank you very much um uh, the v- vasa and that was the 17th century sweden warship that uh, they've actually uh, pulled up, I believe. This is a, yeah. uh, it was an ornate vessel built for King Gustav Adolphus. The Vasa embarked on its main voyage in 1628, sailed about a half mile from the shore, and promptly sank. <laughs> Talk about a bad day. Uh, bronze cannons aboard the wreck were salvaged, but the ship itself was left forgotten. Because it wasn't worth anything, but now it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did they say that it was like a, it was just poorly engineered? I mean, it was well built but poorly designed. A little top heavy. It was top heavy and it rolled. Yep. Uh, so in 1950, the Swedish government devised a rescue operation for the forgotten vessel. Brought it above water in 1961. Uh, it was uh, remarkably well preserved for three and a half centuries underwater. It was later put on display, becoming a popular tourist attraction. And what they don't say in the article was, I think this last year is the first time they've actually stopped putting water on it they went through a whole process of water glycerin trying to stabilize the wood so i've been working on that for quite a while and it's still subsidized by the government it's not totally uh the people visiting it don't pay enough to maintain it no but i can tell you if i'm in sweden and i'm anywhere near there i'm gonna go and see it Uh, but uh, yeah and also i think uh Everybody learned a lot, like, just leave the boats where they are because you don't want to have to put that amount of money into them. And here's the another one that Odyssey Marine had found, the SS Garsopa, 412-foot ship that sank in 1941 with 1,200 bars of silver, silver totaling 1.4 million ounces. Uh, the ship was sank by a German U-boat. The ship was found three miles below the water, and most of the silver was salvaged. is about $36 million that was brought up. Well, 1.4 million times $20 per ounce, the going rate today. Mm-hmm. And again, working at 15,000 feet, they earned every penny of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of people were upset about that because it, 
I think the British government gave, uh, provided Odyssey with the salvage rights, and people thought that uh, they were raping the, the wreck. But at three and a half miles down, you're not going to go down there. It's modern time, so we there's no history in it. So I don't know why you wouldn't want to let it be salvaged. I mean, at least they got something for it. Yeah. I mean, they, they split the, the funds. And then we have the SS Central America. Uh, the, the ship was called the Ship of Gold, which is some pretty good branding. In 1857, the steamer sailed from San Francisco to New York. At the time, it carried 10 tons worth of gold mined from the California Gold Rush. Hurricane hit off the coast of South Carolina. The ship was lost. They said that the event was so significant it contributed to the Panic of 1857. The shipwreck was discovered in 1988, bearing an estimated 100 million to 150 million worth of gold, including an ingot weighing 80 pounds that later sold for 8 million all by itself. I just want to make a note that when they talked about contributed to the Panic of 1857, that was not Bush's fault. No, not <laughs> not back then. <laughs> And then we have the last one on the list, the Diamond Shipwreck, a 16th century Portuguese trading vessel, Bomb Jesus. Is that, is that, am I pronouncing it or is it Bomb Jesus? The way they wrote, the way they wrote it looks like Jesus, but I probably say who, yeah. like you said first. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the ship was laid with gold and ivory. It was caught in a storm while rounding the southern tip of Africa after days of battle. The elements of sea, the ship and the crew were tossed in the coast that holds more than 100 million carats of diamonds. Although the, the men aboard the ship were surrounded by almost incomprehensible wealth, none of the men aboard what has become known as the Diamond Shipwreck survived. The wreck was finally uncovered in 2009 by a geologist working for De Beers. Imagine that. An archaeological investigation the site yields more than 2,000 gold coins, 11 tons of copper, cannon swords, ivory, and more. Yeah, the more must have been the diamonds. Well, that's a thing. I mean, that, they, I could go on and on De about Beers. De Beers. Yeah. But why... Did they own the shipwreck? I mean, what, what, how the wreck was finally uncovered in 2009. I mean, that's just like too coincidental, wouldn't you say? Well, it's off the tip of Africa. I don't think uh, Uncle Sam's going to try to get tax money from that. So down there, I bet the local leader of the pack probably got a couple of shekels and... Uh, kind of tipped them off? Yeah. Because you know De Beers doesn't want anybody else having any diamonds anywhere. So. 100 million carats. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Or if you put that in the open market, it wouldn't be worth anything because 100 million carats. Wow. Oh, yeah, just dribble them out there. Yeah. hundred. But That's way back then. Well, 100 million. I mean, that's enough. So that, that'd be enough for one third of the U.S. population to have a one carat diamond. Yeah, it would work for me. Yeah. Okay. And then as we approach the end of the news, we have wines aged underwater taste different. Uh, a winery in California, the Mira Winery, has been experimenting with aging its wines underwater using the bottom of the Charleston Harbor as its cellar creates unique aqualore. I personally think that if it was stored at the bottom of the, uh, what did you just say? It says Charleston Harbor. Yeah, harbor. The bottom of the harbor. It's going to acquire a, a distinct taste. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said California. But I, that, that's definitely not in California. It said it was their second ocean aging experiment that saw eight cases of 2011 Cabernet Sauvignon sunk 60 feet underwater and left for six months. Cases were piled up earlier this month and subject to both chemical and blind taste tests. While lab tests comparing the wine aged underwater to wine on land showed similar chemical makeups, a blind taste results in the two sommeliers asserting that the aqualore did taste different. Patrick Emerson and Garth Herr both said the Ocean Age wine had a different flavor profile and ammonia, the identical bottles of Mira wine aged on land. Uh, Jim Bear Dyke Jr., president of the Maria Winery, told the, the news that like any good experiment when we started, we didn't know exactly what we were looking for. We just hope to learn more about the process of aging wine. One thing we learned is certainly that it's a relatively short period of time. The same wine exposed to a combination of elements took on a divergent aging path. Uh, Gustavo Gonzalez, Maria's winemaker, added, We still determine the dominant underwater factors that are impacting the wine, but we know there is something there. You can apply what we're learning to aging wine and land. It has potential to revolutionize how the industry thinks about aging. I'm not sold on it at this point. I know what's on the bottom of that muck 60 feet down. <laughs> and I can understand the taste, the aroma, and the flavor. And it ain't what I want. <laughs> Just take a gander at my wetsuit out there. Yeah. Yeah, a little gamey maybe, but uh, I, I would do it. I've wanted to do this for a while. I think just for the novelty of it. I, I wouldn't mind taking some, you know, partake of it and see what it tastes like. 
Oh, it sounds like maybe that might be an experiment this year. Might have to do something like that. Wonder if they give us a, a free bottle or two so we could. Well, I, I I worked on something at one of the local wineries and distilleries coming up with something, and I'm not done yet. So maybe maybe we'll have something to put down. If nothing else, would make some interesting Christmas gifts. Okay, well that does it for scuba in the news. If I can get my mouse over, I the can... ice ice diver. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're gonna go there. That's, there are some photos. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So photo of the week, we have the diver who dives inside of inside of inside of icebergs. This is from Red Bull. They like to cover some of the more extreme sports and diving's very own Jill Heinerth is the subject of this article. She's a Canadian underwater cave diver, which many of us in the diving industry are familiar with her work. She's been in some of the most extreme locations on the planet, from underwater caves to icebergs. And they go and they give a little bit of background to it, and they give an interview. So it's it's worth going to Red Bull and, and reading the article. But the photos... The photos are outstanding. I mean, they're just not... And it's just... Freaking scary if you think if the light goes out. Oops. Oh, yeah. I mean, because that guy over there doesn't see the line way over there. Of course, the guys down there always carry at least three lights. Yeah. At least. Uh, and look at it. This, all these guys are side mounting. Yep. There's and you do not above. see any plumes, do you? Nobody's disturbing the bottom. Oh, no. These guys are all Pros. very, yeah, very experienced. Uh, you know, it's not me in there. It's, it just, it's, it's hard to even talk. I mean, there's just some amazing photos. It's like all the best cave diving photos you've seen. That looks like 3D, that shot does. It really does. Yeah, it, it just kind of pops out at you. Yeah, you this one is, uh, the, the the photo we're looking at is a deep blue cave Bermuda. Let's see what's this next one. Is this one the same one? That's yeah. Mother Earth. And then they got one of Peacock Springs in Florida. Another great photo. Uh, then they, they have the one of her diving icebergs off Antarctica. Okay, it'd be fun to dive those, but that'd be a hell of a long Long boat ride. Boat ride, but can you imagine how big that saw's got to be? <laughs> you get to the top. Yeah. How thick is the ice? I think in that one they they swam around and went under. They, they swam up to it. Look at that. That's just... I don't think I'd want to go in those walrus blowholes because I have a tendency to freeze up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd be bad. It gets just enough for your snorkel to go through it. Okay. Where am I? Yeah, this one this one's out of China. A floating city concept. AT design office features underwater roads and I thought Mac would like this part submarines. And if you think of it kind of as a what would you call it, geometric puzzle, they 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 build a bunch of different shaped parts and then they plug in together so you could have multiple different types of cities. All of them have a similar center structure, and the rest of it is able to be modified. Underwater tunnels would have walkways, roads, permitting horizontal communication access between the islands and the buildings that compromise the floating city. Vertical gardens are interconnected with public greenway greenery systems above and below the water. A chimney in the center of the, the vertical garden provides natural ventilation lighting to the underwater city. Meanwhile, the vertical garden is also a public traffic hub. They don't even begin to say what something like this would cost to build. Yeah. Go, go down a minute. I want to show you something. Yeah. Keep going. People wonder, why is this viable? If you look at who's proposing it, China's largest property investors, because population doesn't seem to be decreasing, and they've already jam-packed earth. So the next obvious place to put people, or what, 90% of the earth is covered by water? Mm-hmm. Let's go underwater. Yeah. I can understand why they would want to do it. And they're they're sort of used to crowded quarters anyway. Yeah. I mean, the photos look beautiful. God, could you imagine if it went the other way and it ended up being underwater slums? The geometric shapes are quite interesting. And you built everything on land and you put it in water, yeah. so it makes sense. Well, you just got a factory. Factory's kicking them out. And they even show at the end they have uh, module sizes. And you got like a triangle, a square with kind of an, an opening in the middle, uh, a hexagon with an opening, and then a bigger one which becomes your center hub, and you just plug the pieces together. And you're going to have to do something. You're running out of property. Yeah. We came from the oceans. We'll go back. Life cycle, right? There you go. And I got this next one in the cool scuba gear category. Not really sure if I quite call it scuba gear, but uh, we in, there, in earlier we had that, we talked about the Vasa, that sank when it, it launched. This is a multi-million dollar yacht that sank after launching in Washington. 
the multi-million dollar yacht uh, launched in, was it Anna Cortez, Washington? <laughs> they said it dumped six people into the water. Wade Benda, the yacht's mechanic, was on board the vessel Sunday after he and a team spent nearly three years building the boat when it suddenly flipped over. The crew was, was reportedly going to deliver the yacht to its new owner on the maiden voyage when it went terribly wrong. I'm relieved that I'm here on the ground, and I just want to thank the good Lord above that I'm here to say that I'm here at this scary moment. The cause of the incident is still under investigation. However, Benda says he thinks the boat stabilizer hit some rocks when it first rolled near the ramp, he told the TV station when they tried to thrust the yacht in the deeper water, but to no avail. All six people were rescued. Looks a little funny on its side, doesn't it? It does. It's a, it's a big, big boat, 65 feet. Did they say how much that boat cost? Just multi-millions? It was $10 million. I think I saw somewhere and it said $10 million. I bet the insurance company is not going to be very pleased. No. I don't see it here. It doesn't say $10 million here, but it's, it seems like that's what I remember. Now, here's a, a suit. We've, we've talked about this one, the exosuit. And if you want a chance to go and dive it yourself, you can. All it will do is it will cost you a $100 ticket. The Historical Diving Society... In cooperation with J.F. White Contracting in Farmington, Massachusetts, the Historical Diving Society announced a raffle for the opportunity to dive the Newt Research Exosuit. The winner may choose from various training evolutions available at the test facility or Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts, from a one-diver experience to a full or partial exosuit pilot training program. The training must be 18 years of age and meet the requirements set by J.F. White. Winners are responsible for lodging, meals, and travel to the diving site. They said, what would you be willing to pay for the opportunity? And uh, they said a full week of training is valued at $7,500. For the price of a $100 ticket, you could win. Or you get three for 250 You notice, though, it's, what, 100 tickets or 1,000 tickets? Thousand Only 1,000 tickets, tickets have been a, printed. At $100 is how much? $100,000. And how much does the training cost? $7,500. Who gets the difference? <laughs> well, that's a fundraiser. Okay. The Historical Diving Society, that's what they, they did. The the suit company donated it. Seemed like they could get more participation if you said, hey, one out of 500 or 250. They'd mm-hmm. still make a nice piece of change. Yeah, but they can sell all 1,000. I wonder how old the maximum is. I say the youngest is 18. I wonder if you and I are too old. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. I don't think I'm too old. I think I'm too fat. I don't think I'm going to squeeze me into that. You have to butter me up. and <laughs> it's Teflon spray. Teflon spray. Then my luck, something something down underneath water would be like, crack me open like a lobster. Fall into a volcano and you'll be parboiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we have our video of the week. A whale comes close to swallowing a scuba diver. Um, if you watch the video, it's a, what would what, they say that that is, Mac? Is it a gray whale? I know what it is. It's not a whale shark. No, no, it's definitely not a whale shark. I'll push the button and see what happens. Yeah. Just says whale. But uh, they weren't whistling Dixie when they said almost. That's pretty darn close to that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he came up. Pretty good clip there. I wonder if he had to do something with his wetsuit or dry suit afterwards. <laughs> you would think so. I'd find that a bit unnerving, but I'm looking at all those freaking sharks down there. I don't think he's six feet away. No, no, it doesn't even seem to be. But, the, the, the six feet, maybe six and a half. Still a little close. Go back to that again. Was that sharks or was that dolphins that we were looking at? That looks like freaking sharks, doesn't it? And those are dolphins. Those are. A big pot of dolphins, too. But if you, that's not a dolphin. You don't think that's a dolphin? That doesn't look like it. That looks... Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, that's, that, a, that's, that's a shark with that's a dolphin. A, that's an S turn there. That's that S curve. Remember? Yeah, that. Yeah, that's uh, that was a that was actually a, I agree with you. That was a shark. But look at him. Every every the bait there, ball. There's a bait ball. Yeah. I don't know. That guy could look like a big bite to me. You got yeah. sharks. You got whales. It's like I'd probably be on the boat watching you. Yeah. Look, looking at this, they, there's a still photo, and I don't care if you're a shark or not. That's five sharks right There's there. five sharks who were, who were munching that bait ball, but they sure got out of the way in a hurry. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that, that whale, I mean, that would be like a bonus, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going for just like, it's like little, uh, it's kind of like having Rice Krispies and then swallowing a cow. 
That is a big, That's a cool video. That was a Take big, a look at it, people. Yeah, that's a big boy. Now, see how close that chart came to the camera like it bumped it? Yeah. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. Why we put that one to death here? That's just about an hour. That was a long news episode. So now we... Now never we, too long. Never too long. Never too long? So what... So did anybody get any diving in this last week? I, I think we got a lot of people diving again last week. This is summer, sort of. Yeah. Even if it is still 48 degrees out there in the big lake. <laughs> Uh, but they did get on Max Rec again on Sunday, as I recollect. Uh, more is exposed. They said another six inches. Um, found dead eyes on the port and solid side now. So I think there's three on each side. So they said six inches more exposed? Is right. that the... And the centerboard keel, you can actually put your hands under the supporting beams that come to the rails. So, well, that, so this is almost like the first year we dove on it, because I think that that was about that open. Because those, uh, because we're talking about those turnbuckles. Yeah, but it's clear under it. When we dove it the first time, it was not. It was just flush with the surface. Okay. And then uh, they were talking about the Havana, which was, they dove that. And again, more timbers are showing on it than even last year. And last year was a bonus year. We found dead eyes on that one. Yeah. And that's been down there 100 years. Well, I heard a rumor that somebody got 51 feet on Havana. Yeah. It, it originally was 55, then it went down to 49, and now it's 51. It's a good novice dive. Yeah. So so the, the bottom, they said a little bit of a combination of the, the lake level being a little higher and then the sand being a little bit more washed away. Right. And again, we had uh, 15 to 20 foot visits, which is not bad on that wreck. I would take that. Yep. Uh, and the, lake, the local lakes and the lakes have been getting a little... Look, see, uh, SAS is on their Wednesday night dives. It's picked up. So Mr. Curtis from the Mud Club has been out there. He tries to make all of them. I think he, I think he goes in for it for the T-shirt you get if you make yeah. all of them. Yeah, bragging rights. Yep, bragging Which, rights. That, that counts. That's a good way. Well, it's good if you if you haven't been to those lakes because you're talking on two hours from us. Yeah. And most people don't dive the lakes on that side of the state. But but he's closer to it than we are. Yes, he is. That's yeah. why he goes there. Yeah, that makes sense. And not to mention, they always go for food afterwards, <laughs> and it always has something with shrimp in it. Yeah. So I think they buy them off. Let's go to a good restaurant so Richard do come. Yeah, that will work. Yep. And I will say the St. Joe River has about six inches of visibility, as it <laughs> did this afternoon. And if you're diving around the docks, you have about two inches of <laughs> visibility. Oh, but the water's great. Wetsuiting was absolutely not an issue. Yeah, I I was walking along the one of the creeks that feeds into St. Joe yesterday, and uh, it looked like chocolate milk. So all the rain's been, and the sediment pouring off the land is, is clogging it up pretty well. Well, with our sometime semi-warm air and the cold environment of Lake Michigan, uh, we went out mowing the lawn. And for those who don't remember, mowing the lawn is when we go out doing patterns looking for shipwrecks. So we were doing that uh, yesterday. And the fog was really, really thick. Uh, a mile from the beach, it's like wonderful day. The closer you get, the less you could see. And if you didn't have a GPS, you would not have been able to find your way back to the harbor. So we went down by the uh, Grand Mirror, and we're scoping out the clay banks, doing some scanning there. And then we checked that sweet spot I told you about. We took some beach patrol pictures. Yeah. And we wanted to see what that was. It's only 13 foot of water. Uh, definitely looks like it may have been a dock facility about 80 years ago when the water was that far out. Uh, because right on the backside of that area, it drops down 15 feet, mm-hmm. which would make sense. The dock is here. Load the ships. you got some freeboard water. Yeah. So looking forward to getting back out there. Yeah. Always looking forward to those new discoveries. Yes. And then here we are coming up in the U.S. We have a three-day weekend, Memorial Day weekend. So it's three days, three opportunities for everybody to get out and do some scuba diving. I understand that there are people heading in all sorts of different directions. I think Sweeney and crew is going to the Rockaway up in South Haven. 
Uh-huh. Uh, some had wanted to go to the Havana or Max Rec, but I think we've changed their view to go to Michigan City Woo-hoo. and dive the Muskegon and the Breakwater. Yep. And the weather is supposed to be good. Well, I'm looking forward to it being good. So any dates picked out? Is it Saturday, Sunday, Monday? Uh, Saturday should be for the Muskegon, and uh, I imagine it'll be a high noon, so we'll probably get there by 11. Mm-hmm. That sounds logical. Yep. And... Uh, you know, you could probably dive that one and then catch a ride with Bob. Yeah, yeah, I could catch up for some lost time. Yeah, I think he's also looking to do one on Monday. Yeah, yeah he mentioned also the Ironsides, that the, he and Kirk want to get up to the Ironsides. Yeah, and it, the Ironsides is nice, but you definitely want to have your gear checked out before you go. And most yeah. people start out shallow before they start going deep. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been diving throughout the winter, but not as much as I normally do, and I want to get a couple dives in before I would be on the iron sides. Well, I'd want to start playing with my bailout, that kind of stuff, yeah. before you go back down because you're past 100 feet. Yeah, definitely a good good dive for a bailout. But usually, provided that uh, nothing's crazy has been going on the lake, a uh, pretty good viz on the iron sides. Well, today the viz was a minimum of 15 to 20 feet looking down from the surface. That's why when I was doing beach patrol this morning, mm-hmm. it looked like a really good time to be out there. You could say the you could see the intake and discharge tunnels at the uh, the Cook Nuclear Plant down the road. Yeah, you could see those just like you're in a glass bottom boat. Really? Oh yeah, it's it was really really nice. Cool. So it made you wish you had your gear out and you were doing some diving today. Well, I did do diving today. That's why it's dripping in my garage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so you. Oh, it was yesterday that was the foggy. Yeah, yesterday was foggy. We decided not to because if we got out and you came up away from the boat, couldn't find the boat. That would not be good. Yeah, nobody's going to find you in the fog bank. Not a bit. Yeah, your safety sausage ain't going to help out one darn bit. Yeah, you're gonna, they're going to wait till the fog's gone away. Yeah, By that you, time, you're either prop bait or... And I didn't have my compass because you'd have had no clue which way you were going. Yeah. I'm just trying to do... If I hadn't had the second GPS for lanes, man, and even with that, you're, you know, going around and around. Hmm. But summer's here. If you're not getting wet now, sell your gear, get into another hobby, people. <laughs> I almost feel like I have to. I've, I'm... T- you know, my, uh, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it to anybody. If you, I didn't post it online, but and everybody's okay, but my scuba vehicle didn't make it through the weekend. It uh, got a little crumpled. Somebody pulled out in front of it, and the driver, who wasn't me, uh, hit him. So still trying to figure out if it's repairable or if it's just going to become a piece of scrap metal. But that killed my dive plans for the weekend. Well, I think that brings us to that time of the show. This is where we have the little voice that comes over and says, Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, don't do it. So Let's grin and bear it. So here we go. A lawyer defending a man accused of burglary tried a creative defense. My client merely insisted, inserted his arm into the window and removed a few trifling articles. His arm is not himself. And I fail to see how you can punish this whole individual for an, ins- for an offense committed by his limb. Well put, the judge said. Using your logic, I sentence the defendant's arm to one year imprisonment. He can accompany it or not as he chooses. The defendant smiled. With his lawyer's assistant, he detached his artificial limb, laid it in the bench, and walked out. Ooh, I want that lawyer. <laughs> yeah, you could, you, you could see that one, couldn't you? There's... I think even if you won, you could still end up with contempt of court. <laughs> Judges uh, don't like to lose. True, but you got to give the man credit for ingenuity. Yeah. He could be a diver. He could. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's natural for sharks to be in the water. <laughs> so on that note, until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>